Hey Property Insiders, I'm Mike Stenhouse and this is the Inside Property Investing Podcast. Today, we've got our first HMO Month interview with the husband and wife team, Ben and Julia from Fortunus Property. I am delighted to have them on the show because they're an amazing example of the impact that property can have on your life in a short space of time. In 18 months, they were able to create a £3,000 monthly income, enabling Jules to leave the corporate world behind and focus on raising her family. And now, as they've progressed from small HMOs to larger ones, they're generating in excess of £1,000 per project. Ben is still working in a corporate job he enjoys, but Jules is on the brink of taking time off as they prepare to have their second child. But the real beauty of this is their income will continue while she focuses on her family due to the recurring revenue from their portfolio. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. But before we get started, let's just take a minute to thank our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by none other than IPI's own HMO Month. If you're interested in the world of HMO investing, we want to invite you to a free masterclass that we're running, how to create a thriving HMO portfolio so that you can live life on your terms. Maybe you're listening to this thinking it's time that you figured out what this HMO strategy is all about. Or you might even be scratching your head thinking everyone else says that HMOs are dead. Why the hell is Mike still so passionate about them? Either way, let's talk about it. We are definitely at an interesting time with the HMO market. There's new legislation and taxation risks to navigate, but there's also huge opportunity and demand to consider as well. The challenge is balancing these different factors to create houses that are a profitable part of your portfolio for the long term. And believe me, it is 100% possible. Ben and Jules are proving it, and we have got a ton of other success stories from other HMO investors to prove it as well. If you've been on the fence for a while, thinking about property investment, wondering if you can make it work, dreaming of a boost to your income or more time or more choice, then why not join us this week for our live masterclass where we'll be looking at what's possible with HMO investing in 2020, where the opportunities are and how you can create a thriving business. Register your spot at insidepropertyinvesting.com forward slash masterclass or follow the links in the show notes. Well, guys, I am delighted to have you here, Ben and Jules from Fortunize Property. It's an absolute blast and a real pleasure as well, given the fact that you are doing this all the way from sunny Australia. So thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time, taking the time to do this. Thanks, Mike. Good yeah. to be here. Great to be speaking to you. So I guess, first of all, what I want to do is before we jump into the property side of things, it's always nice to, to get to know our guests a little bit. And, uh, you know, I guess the nice thing about this is that we've known each other for a couple of years now, but that has all been whilst you've been in the property world. So for me, I'm kind of getting to learn a little bit about what your life was like prior to that as well. So just take a couple of minutes to tell us, you know, who you are, where you're from originally, and uh, what your life was like prior to property coming along. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, so Jules and I, we are a husband and wife team. Um, we're currently living down in East Sussex, um, and we invest primarily in the East Midlands. Um, we, we have a family of three, so we've got a two and a half year old, uh, called Sasha and, uh, we're actually expecting our second baby in March. So, um, so it's been a good experience trying to kind of juggle that growing family with, um, with the property business and, and a day job. So, um, so yeah, it's lots of fun. Um, as I say, yeah, so, so, um, I'm Ben, um, and I'm, I, I guess, stepping back. So before property, 
Um, I, I'm a journalist by trade, actually. So I guess on the face of, face of it, totally unrelated field to property. Um, after uni, uh, you know, I had a number of business and finance related journalism roles in, in both Sydney and London. Um, joined my current company in 2012. Uh, and, you know, that's been a really interesting experience, actually. Um, uh, basically, I joined and it was just myself and my boss. Um, uh, now I'm quite kind of invested in the business. Uh, we've grown it to over 20 people. Um, so, you know, that, that's, I suppose, that's teaching me a lot of broad kind of business experience and, and in terms of like systems and scaling up a company. Um, and, you know, a lot, a lot of good experience there. And in terms of the content, um, we focus on investment and finance. So, uh, you know, a lot of interaction with bankers and lawyers and investors, yeah. company CEOs. So, so you know, that's, uh, that's been good. And I, and I felt like that, that's kind of, although journalism isn't an, a, a kind of a, an obvious kind of fit for property, it's kind of um, given me some good broad, broad skills to, to, to apply um, for, for, to, in, in property. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I think Jules, meanwhile, you know, she she's she kind of has been investing since like she was at school or something. So she's had a <laughs> more, uh, natural progression. Uh, yeah. Um, not quite, but um, yeah, always had a keen interest in property. Um, it was about when I was 23 when I purchased my first property investment, which was in Sydney, um, where I'm from and where we're currently speaking to speaking to you from. Um, I was living with my folks until 23, so I had a good time of saving during uni and straight after uni. So I used that saved money to, towards the first purchase of a flat, uh, which was three beds, and then I rented two of the rooms. So technically, that was my first HMO. Nice, that's cool. Uh, so that, yeah, so that was my first uh, double or first investment in property, and so that kind of got me started uh, in Australia. Uh, Corporate-wise, my background is in asset management and commercial property finance. I was working with Australia's uh, largest non-commercial financier as a credit analyst. So I was writing up credit reports uh, on a variety of property transactions for small to large-scale investors and developers. Um, I was with them in their financing journey, so also seeing them through in the development cycle too. Um, And in this role, a lot in this role, my interest in property investment perked up as I was working with some really down-to-earth investors and developers and some ordinary people are just taking risks in interesting projects. And I thought, oh, this is something I want to do and double in myself. So I was just something that was kind of not burning in me at the time just yet, but I was keen to... um, yeah, keen to get involved in. Uh, so a lot of the experience that I learned from my latest from that role is, is has applied in what we do day to day. So the fund funding, uh, yeah, raising finance. Yeah, we have to stop there. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, I mean, it sounds like there's like from from both of you like a lot of cool transferable skills from. The corporate yeah. life. I mean, like the the stuff that you've seen and the the projects you've been involved with, and you know, like from whether it's raising finance or growing a team, all of that stuff sounds like it would sort of put you in a pretty good position to to start your own business. You know, regardless of whether it's property or or otherwise, like you you've, you you actually sound pretty well placed to make that jump into working for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that that's right. So. Um, 
all, all transferable skills um, in what we do right now. So that's right. And when, when did you move to the UK, Jules? Um, it was in 2012. So Ben and I met, had met in Sydney and I decided to do the working holiday visa. So just uh-huh. before I turned 30 and I wasn't able, uh, before I was not eligible for that visa. So we went to London to do a working holiday stint um, and that has that's eight years ago now. And a nice little travel. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's we were we were kind of mentioned this before we started recording that uh, one of Victoria's uh, best friends has just moved to to Sydney and like immediately upon getting off the plane was like yeah I'm never coming home but like you guys seem to have the same view of the UK you all come over here and then never leave I don't know what it is it feels like like we've all been born in the wrong country everyone in the UK wants to move to Australia everyone in Australia wants to move to the UK but like I mean was it like despite the weather and the gloom in it I mean what what the heck encouraged you to stay in this miserable country when you're from Sydney like I just I just want to get my head around that I think for me personally it was the culture the exposure to the culture as well and uh, the travel and different variety of people it's been great I think Jules said once it was just because it was easy to get to everywhere in Europe <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah well yeah I mean that is a big bonus right yeah. <laughs> you so could have said Ben have- there Jules that would have got you some serious brownie points Yes, that's right. Yeah, so the visa I was on was like pretty much dubbed a working holiday visa. So every weekend I'd I'd, I'd be pestering Ben on where we're going to go this time around. So, yeah, it was a lot of travel in those first couple of years. Okay. And then, I mean, despite the the sort of successful corporate careers and everything like that, at some point you decided that you wanted to escape it. What was the driving force behind that? Was Was it the sort of call of family life that made you want to step down a little bit? Yeah, there was a couple of factors. So when I moved to when we moved to London, I was working in the city, and I didn't quite get the same role that I wanted in property finance. I think they saw past my, um, you know, they, they're looking into my visa. They can see the restrictions. I'm only here for a temporary time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it, a lot of the, the role that I was doing is, you know, client relationships, seeing a transaction through. Um, the development cycle, and they knew I'll be out of here or out of the, um, you know, in a year or so time. So I didn't land the job that I wanted, and I just placed myself in a contracting role, which paid me well. But I got disheartening, but disheartened. I was in a banking job that um, for about three years at the time, I really didn't like it. I just thought I can't do this for much longer. Um, and, and it was that time where we had recently got engaged and uh, looking to start a family. And I, I just, I just kind of knew that was the path. I was in banking in London. I didn't want to have a baby, go on maternity leave, and go back to a crappy job that I just had no desire of sure. being there or doing. Sure. So that was a that was a big driver in um, creating a lifestyle of just finding a way that we can do that. And I, I guess I mean that's that's what I was uh, getting towards, you know, finding that the, the the lifestyle, the the way that you can make that happen. Was it a, a long process before you came to property, or was that an obvious choice from day one? Did you consider anything else before you decided on that route? I think it was an obvious choice, um, considering our, well my history or my interest in property. I thought this is the time to ignite that. Um, little fire in my belly so I dragged Ben to do some property education with me and from then on we took it seriously uh, there was about a year we started prop, proper property investing 
from 2015. in two, 2015 and yeah it was we we did a we really went hard in 2016 to be honest we we were still working on corporate jobs and then yeah we were just doing the whole travel and finding the right properties yeah, yeah. i think we so, so we kind of had an initial aim of um uh, kind of like three thousand pounds um cash flow a month um mm-hmm. just to kind of gradually you know, replace Jules's wage and, and well, have a, have a basic wage at, at least for, for Jules to be able to kind of step away um, from her job. So, um, so you know, we did that. We did that kind of thing. Like every every Saturday, we wake up at like four or five a.m. No car at this time. You know, jump on a train up to our area. Um, you know, view about twenty properties. Uh, get home exhausted at like ten p.m. Yeah, I know. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, review them on Sunday, and then uh, offers all ready to go out on on Monday. You know, we we were doing that. Um, we you know we really went hard in the first in the first kind of year or two, I think. And and we we got to our we got to our kind of three k um, aim or thereabouts within within kind of about eighteen months, didn't we? So, yeah. Amazing. That's that sounds pretty quick. Like I mean. You know, from from a standing start to to be able to replace what is probably more than the average UK salary in eighteen months, like it, it it's just good to put a, a time scale on that for for other people listening to this and think, okay, you can actually achieve achieve quite a lot in a, a relatively short space of time if you put your mind to it. But I mean, like you guys were, like you say, doing this evenings and weekends, so it, it's it's possible. It's definitely achievable. It, yeah, it, it, def- it definitely is, and, and you know, it definitely was um, was a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I suppose we, we we were taught through the property training that we did about the kind of um, pyramid kind of approach, not a pyramid scheme. Pyramid. <laughs> Good clarification. But yeah, building a pyramid. So a lot of um, a lot of basic, uh, you know. So so we actually started with a, with with um, you know, kind of basic buy to let kind of model, um, and and. and and some kind of smaller HMOs, I suppose, to begin with, and you know, just to kind of build that experience, give us credibility with the, the banks and the investors, um, and then kind of, you know, it, it was tempting to go harder earlier, but we we wanted to kind of get it right, um, and uh, I think, you know, it, especially when you're doing those courses and speaking to a lot of people, it can get really overwhelming to begin with. I think because mm-hmm. there's so many different strategies, everyone has a different opinion on what works and what doesn't, and it's like. It can be quite a scary place to begin with, but we, we were quite single-minded once yeah. we found our area and knew our strategy, and, and then we just we just kind of went hard. We just stuck to our guns and then just yeah just took the action to get it done. Yeah, we good had, on you. Yeah, just uh, I, you you sort of you you made a comment um, about having to drag Ben along to the the sort of education side of things in the first instance i mean ben was it were you was it something that you had any interest in to start with were you like super reluctant to i mean was it the property thing that put you off was it the idea of stepping away from the corporate world or is is jules being kind of mean and actually you were keen for it from day one yeah, she's been mean. <laughs> uh, no, I, no she, I mean, Jules has always been the, the one that's been kind of more interested in it. And she's, you know, she's, she's uh, got a, more of a background in it, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've been interested in it, but, but not really kind of, um, yeah, not really done, done much about it. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was, it was good to kind of get along there. And, you know, for me, it's not, 
it's not necessarily about stepping away from from the corporate gig for me. I, I quite I quite like my um, my, my current job. So uh, you know, it's uh, it, it was more pressing I think for Jules and our family going forward to to be able to create income, which gave Jules a lot more flexibility. Yeah, I, I guess I mean the kind of something that comes up quite a lot is, um, and it doesn't sound like this is the case in in, in your uh, the, your in your case at all. But like we we hear from a lot of people who are part of the struggle is that they have a reluctant spouse or partner or family or you know friends that are just constantly telling them that it's not going to work it's not possible so even though i mean ben it's great you know you're not desperate to leave your corporate job you enjoy what you're doing that's a great place to be but i guess i mean it's it must have been nice jules to have the support of ben from someone who kind of at least understood what you were trying to do and was willing to come and help out and get his hands dirty when he needed to and just know that you've got that support and uh, you know, so someone who's sort of in your corner and believes in what you're doing, and you know, rather than trying to figure it all out on your own and justify to other people whilst you're doing it, whilst you've got everything else going on as well. Yeah, it's it's been amazing, someone to bounce off, and I don't know if I would have been strong enough or confident enough to go and do it on my own. So I'm glad he was able to be open-minded and come along but it wasn't a hard sell to be honest he 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 understood very quickly how good property investment is and and we carried on together amazing so you sorry ben no, no, it's all right. Go on. So I was just going to say, going, going back to that timeline then, you said around about 2015 was when you started. 2016, you took it seriously. Started off with single lets and within about 18 months, you were able to replace or you were able to create around about a three grand income. So from memory, that was single lets to start with and then gradually up to like small HMOs. Is that right? That's right. So we had a couple of um, four bed um, HMOs. Mm-hmm. So we started that way. It was good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, more recently, you've sort of made a decision that you're going to go after larger HMOs. Uh, so, I mean, what was it that made you think that scaling up the the size of the deals rather than the volume of deals was the right way to go? Yeah. So I suppose we we got to that point. Um, so I suppose that was must have been like early 2017, where we where we kind of hit that initial aim uh, and had a, had a decent portfolio of smaller smaller properties, and then. And then we we were actually expecting our um, first child um, in in June 2017. So we knew that things would change, obviously, uh, and you know we'd have less time on our hands. Uh, plus, I suppose we were we were more confident in what we were doing. You know, we had proven the business model. We were constantly educating ourselves, um, and and we felt ready to kind of take the next step. Uh, and move on to you know larger larger projects and continuing to kind of challenge ourselves and uh, you know take on fewer projects but um, you know with, with higher returns I suppose um, so yeah we made that decision um, and then you know fairly fairly quickly we kind of were were, were kind of coming across uh, a few deals and um, uh, yeah so and we've been kind of looking at larger HMOs uh, since really and. Um, yeah, specifically, we're looking to get a HMO. We we can get a commercial valuation. So uh, we was with with the experience of the small HMOs that was working fine. I was working well for us, um, but there was a bit of money cash uh, money left into those deals, um, and also we were finding less less of those opportunities. So we just 
looking for a niche in that area mm-hmm. and finding um, pr- properties where we can create that additional value, um, obtain a commercial valuation and uh, recoup most of our investment on the exit. So that yeah. was another piece. Yeah, uh, we, we were finding that that market of, uh, you know, that those size of property, those size of HMO, that there just uh, suddenly appeared to be so much competition and the deals just weren't really stacking up in, you know, there was just too many people going after them and, and the returns, you know, they obviously got us to where we are now, but they, they weren't amazing for the amount of work that we were kind of putting in and, and the amount of money that we were needing to invest. So uh, it made sense to look for more of a niche and, and, and go for a larger projects. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think the, the interesting thing is that niche is going to be different in every part of the UK. Every town and city is going to have a different sort of established core market, a different property style that, you know, your your sort of average investor is, is going after. And you're right, it gets to the stage where there's a huge amount of competition for specific types of property. But for me, that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the market is dead. It just means that you kind of need to figure out, you almost need to be one step ahead of everyone else. For us, it's, you know, in Stockport where we invest, it's finding sort of unloved rundown vacant commercial property and converting them into larger HMOs. For you guys with your larger HMOs, it's still houses that you're going after, right? But just like bigger houses rather than maybe like a two or three bed. And you're, so am I, is, is that right? You're, you're not doing commercial conversions. It's, it's bigger houses that you're converting into larger HMOs. That's right. So um, our most recent project was a five bed um, house. And it's, um, that, that's the one where we did, there was not, not great stock out there. So when this this one became available, this, we really felt like this had great development opportunity and um, enough size for us to get seven bedrooms and do an extension. So we were keen to nab that project. Nice. And this is Project Woody, right? Yeah, we, we've named it Project Woody. So I'm just I'm thinking I'm just thinking back to your sort of Instagram profile and. Uh, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to picture this, but this was, I mean, I, 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 we'll get into some of the details of it, but you mentioned the extension there and that, that got me thinking that there was, there was a delay on, the, or that, that kind of planning application for the extension, like it was approved, but there was a bit of a, a problem with it at one point, right? Yeah, so what we did is we, we got a, um, a, we, we were sent in a planning application to tenants this regenerate property, so we, we obtained that and but we hadn't. What we thought is that we can do the extension on permitted development, um, and after investigating, you know, discussing with the discussing with the council um, back and forth, and submitting um, specifics on the you know on the property, it was deemed that no, we had to put in that planning application. So um, we we had to submit a second one, so another planning application fee but this time to include the rear extension. So uh, when we started the project, our builder was restricted to the internals of the, to the bedroom. So there was like half of the house where they were flying through the, the refurb and then the second half of the house, the back end, which was just kind of sitting dormant while we we're waiting for the planning to be approved. Uh, what a pain. What a pain. But I mean, you, you learn from these lessons, right? And I guess you'll know next time what you need to do to get this through the first time, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Like this was the first time we've ever uh, done a planning application and we, on a whim, we did it ourselves um, just with a bit of help with, we just scrolled onto the council website to see what has happened in the area or what other, or other related properties and spoke to other investors who um, submitted planning applications and 
and also I just kind of trawled other councils to see um, applications for HMO conversions there and I was just creating my own document and thankfully it was okay. Nice. Okay. So uh, this project is pretty much complete now, but I'd love to know a bit more about the details of it. And I mean, if you're happy to share some of the figures in terms of what you bought it for, what your renovation cost, all that sort of stuff, I'd love to hear it as well. Yeah, cool. So it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's basically a seven bed, um, five ensuite licensed HMO. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, just coming coming back to you know, it was when we when we uh, when we sourced it. Um, you know, Jules was pretty on it at that point. We knew we we needed that kind of property um, to to kind of take us to the next level. So she she saw that come up and she knew she had to be in there straight away. So she actually made sure that she was the first person to view it, um, and we offered very quickly on it. And you know, we don't we didn't get too bothered. We 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 offered asking price. You know, mm-hmm. I think. It, we knew we needed to just lock it down because we thought there'd be a lot of interest in it, um, and and there was. So it was good to. If Jules hadn't have gone up there on the first day, we wouldn't wouldn't have secured it. It was a bit weird because it was actually being sold by an institutional investor, so it was on with two estate agents. So it wasn't quite clear what was happening. We thought we'd had our offer accepted, but uh, we weren't quite sure. So Jules had been the one talking to the to to our agent. Um, so then I phoned up the other agent and pretended I was some you know somebody different and, and gave a fake name and <laughs> just to try and find out you know what was happening and uh, the agent just uh, I don't know if she should have but she told me everything that was happening so uh, we knew we'd got the property on that on, on that one so that was um that was good um so we, you know we had we had that deal um we had that deal but literally um just to give you the context we we uh, agreed that deal, but we had no money in the bank at that point to to finance it. All, all our cash was tied up in our in other projects or previous projects. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we we but we were you know we were confident we could kind of get that together. Um, so so yeah, um, do you want me to go into a bit of background about? about that Mike or shall I, um, shall I just go into numbers no I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear about that sort of uh, fundraising but I guess just one thing to interrupt on that that asking price offer I think you know like just the way that you you explained that almost as if it was was nothing major but I think I think it's a really important point you know we see so many people that are struggling to do deals because they're adamant that they've you know they've been on a course and Oh, we got told that we need to buy BMV. We need to get a discount on it. If it's on the market at two hundred grand, we need to pay no more than one eighty for it. And I'm like, honestly, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions in property. If the property is worth two hundred grand, pay them two hundred and five for it and get it off the market because you know, doing uh, for us momentum is one of the biggest things, and just getting deals moving is going to have such a bigger impact in the long run than waiting, spinning your wheels for like 18, 24 months, waiting for this perfect BMV deal that never exists because it is a, an active market just now. So I think, you know, just wanted to to comment on that. I think you did exactly the right thing, just saying, no, this is a good deal for us. It makes sense at that price. Let's just offer them what they want for it and, and get the deal done rather than trying to negotiate for a few grand, which with a big HMO like this, you know, you'll make that back in a couple of months. It's, uh, for me, I just, I just think it's it's so much more important to secure that deal than to to be able to go on Facebook and say, oh yeah, we got it BMV. That's I, I don't know. It's just something that I'm kind of passionate about. But I'm gl- I'm glad that you guys took the same approach. 
Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, it's just an arbitrary figure at the end of the day, isn't mm-hmm. it? So you need to just see whatever figure works for you. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's not about your, your ego on getting a BMV deal. Mm-hmm. It's that. So, so yeah, it's know your numbers and, and, and move quickly when you, once you know that number, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. So you said that you, you put an offer in on this, not really knowing how you were going to fund it. I guess there's a bit of sort of trepidation doing that. But I mean, how were you able to, to pull it off in the end? Yeah, so I mean, we were confident we could get it together, but we were kind of we were kind of crapping ourselves as well at that point. We were just like, what are we, what, what are we going to do now? But um, it it was good. We kind of scrambled around, um, and you know, we 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 got the deposit and the stamp duty together. So all together, it was about fifty k, mm-hmm. um, which we thought great. You know, that's um, that's sorted. We we can kind of complete and we'll and we'll, we'll get the refurb money sorted as as we're doing that. But the, the lender actually came back. Um, we weren't aware of this at the time. They wanted to see the whole refurb amount in our um, in our bank account. So uh, that was a bit of a, a shock. Um, you know, we thought we might need to evidence some, but the full amount was was um, was uh, yeah. It's a bit, a bit, shock, a bit but, unusual. Um, yeah. Is that unusual? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you know if that's good or bad to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it, you know it, it's um, it's it's maybe not something that you need to to worry about on every project. Thinking you're going to need to have a hundred k sitting in your bank account, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's certainly not something that we see every time. They're asking for for that. Occasionally they do, but um, I'd say more often than not, they'll they'll kind of take your word on it. But yeah, so we needed to get so basically we needed to get another kind of sixty seventy k together. Um, and, you know, at this point, it had been dragging on a little bit and we were we were worried about kind of losing the deal. So we really wanted to get it over the line. Um, so it was quite a, a stressful time, but we, we managed to we managed to get there. We get that extra 65K in less than three weeks. So that was, uh, it was as I say, a very stressful time, but probably one of the most kind of rewarding yeah. uh, periods as well, uh, managing to kind of raise that amount in, in, a, in a short amount of time. Yeah. And then the the project itself, uh, I, I, again, from Instagram, I, I, this is the beauty of Instagram. I love just sort of being able to see what everyone else is up to and how projects go and, uh, you know, just follow along with the, 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 the process. But um, that was from memory. Uh, well, I, actually, Jules, you kind of mentioned this already, right? It was a kind of project of two halves with the, the sort of bulk of the house being pretty far along before you were able to start the extension. Yeah, that's right. Our um, builder was keen for it. The uh, the planning um, application or the uh, planning decisions come through on the extension because his his guys were good to go. They were flying through the refurb. All the bedrooms were were yeah. They were they were all they were pretty much um, you know photos ready to be done. But while the um, the back of the end of the house was still like a bit of rubble. So yeah, two parts. Okay. And in, in terms of the, the, the renovation budget on this, do you mind me asking how much it cost you in total? Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I can give you all the figures, Mike. So, the uh, purchase price was 140 mm-hmm. Um the, the build cost uh, and, and including the furniture as well, actually, so that was uh, 73 So, I think the build was about 65 yeah, and, right. and about 8 for furniture. Um, other costs, so bridge, stamp, legals, and other finance was sixteen one six. Um, so I believe that so I think that was totally in a two two nine. Um, 
and and yeah, and, and uh, so a uh, net cash flow per month is um, twelve hundred uh, a month. That's complete complete net. Okay. Um, so like, uh, yeah, and, and we, we so we just got it refinanced, re, revalued at a two sixty two six zero. Um, so um, it's good. Yeah. So ROI is thirty five percent after the refinance, which we, we were happy with. Amazing. Yeah. So I mean, I guess. Based on a sort of seventy seventy five percent mortgage, you've got what maybe like thirty five grand or something tied up in it, and you're making like yeah. I mean the the, the figures sound good. I mean thirty five percent for for me, our sort of baseline is is twenty percent. Anything over and above that is great. Uh, but you guys must be pretty happy with that as a, as an income on the the amount of cash you've got tied up in it. Really happy. Yeah, like you say. I mean, you know, we can pull some we can pull some cash out there. Um, you know, it wasn't. It was looking actually. Um, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't looking like a, a done deal. We, we on the refinance. It, it, it feels like we kind of set a bit of a new precedent in the area because there really were no comparables mm-hmm. for a licensed HMO commercial valuation in the area. Um, and uh, you know, I guess maybe a lack of stock or people just hold or uh, whatever. But there, but there weren't any that we could find. So. You know, I think Jules was working really closely with the broker and, uh, and and the value on his visit. And, you know, he said the same thing. Like, There's no comparables. Um, I can't give you a commercial valuation. Um, so it was it was a bit of a tricky time because it ticked all the boxes on paper. You know, we had the uh, Sue Generous license. It was seven bed. It was right next to the town center, you know, rear extension, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, you know, it, it isn't that simple. If there's no, if there's no comparable, then it's tricky. So um, you know, we were lucky that the valuer kind of, um, you know, understood the points that we were making, um, and Jules managed to find some comparables in in kind of nearby areas that that luckily he would, he took into account. And Jules also spoke to a few other investors in uh, in in the town. Kind of to try try and demonstrate um, some some kind of precedent, but that was that was a tricky tricky. Bit. Yeah, yeah, it was. definitely was. I mean, it sounds yeah. like your hard work paid off, though. Definitely worth building that relationship. I'm I'm always kind of blasé about you know having these conversations with surveyors and valuers because I just kind of feel like the ones that we've dealt with they they kind of come in they've made up their minds before they've even got out the car in most cases you know and it like so I'm, I'm just like look I don't want to tell you how to do your job that's my, my sort of going in approach is like you know try to try to keep a professional relationship by not telling them how to you know how they're supposed to be in their job but it sounds like totally the opposite for you guys and it's it's actually paid off massively by by having a conversation with him by you know explaining why you think it's worth what it is and it, it, it's worked out it's it's you, you got the valuation that you wanted in the end so you know it just goes to show that i've uh, i've still got a thing or two to learn as well <laughs> yeah it was good. Well, we I did try to put a revaluation pack. I don't know if it was great, but um, yeah, oh, we punted and we put one together and just stayed friendly with him. We didn't over overdo it and ask too much, but we he just understood our position, and thankfully he was an investor too, so he kind of understood what we needed to be and what we needed to achieve, and um, there was just enough out there for us to for 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 him to give us what we needed. Nice. That's cool. That's cool. Well, it sounds like a great project. So congrats on that. And I guess as well, you know, just looking at those numbers. So, you know, 
I, I said at the start, being able to build an income of three grand in 18 months is phenomenal. But then from a single project, you sort of increased that by another 40%, you know, 1200 on top of that. Like just sometimes, you know, these HMOs, the, the larger ones, the income potential on them is, is you, you can replace an income really quickly with a couple of sort of well thought out, well executed projects, which is just, you know, it's just why we, even though we're trying to diversify our portfolio a little bit, we just can't drag ourselves away from HMOs entirely because the the income from them can be so good. It's it's really hard to, to to tear yourself away from that strategy. Yeah, it's been good to us. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you know it's um it, it's it's a strategy that we will kind of continue to continue to look at going forward. Cool. Um, one thing that I am, uh, I, I feel like everything that I am passionate about is getting turned upside down today, but that's good. You know, it's, it's good to look at things from a different perspective. <laughs> one, one thing I, I, you know, if, if people are saying, where should I invest? There's so many opportunities. I don't know if I want to invest in Nottingham or Newcastle or Nantwich. I don't know why I'm picking all the ends, but you know, like I'm just like, look, just try and stick close to home if at all possible. Investing on your doorstep is going to make your life a lot easier. And more than likely, there is going to be some opportunity to make money from property within, you know, a half hour, 60 minute drive from from where you live. But obviously, you guys said you live down in Sussex and you're investing. Did you in the Midlands? Did you say east, west? I can't remember. But I mean, you're, you're not investing on your doorstep. You got a couple hours at least to get to the projects you're looking at. Was that an intentional decision? Uh, I suppose when we were when we were heavily invested in it was East Midlands. We, um, uh, you know, we we wanted our money to go a bit further, and the numbers really just seemed to stack up there. Um, and it was kind of three hours, so it was within the kind of um, within the distance that we kind of set ourselves. I suppose now, now we're in Hastings. It's uh, it's more like a ten hour round trip. So it's been. Uh, do you want to comment, Jules, on the... On yeah, the- that was, was pretty rough, to be honest. So midway through um, Project Woody, uh, we had um, relocated out of London, now to East Sussex. So that extra couple of hours on that journey just really killed me. So, um, And also being pregnant at the tail end of the project was, was not fun. So, uh, yeah, investing remotely or invest, investing up, you know, up in the middle has worked for us, but... Um, we've come to a point in time that we, we do actually want to invest um, closer to our doorstep. We've got a family now, so when we started investing those few hours away, we didn't have Sasha, so we were able to just be nimble and go up and take that time. But we, our priorities shifted a bit now, so okay. it's funny you say that. Okay, and yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we're still we're still open to open to projects in. In that region, because obviously we have invested a lot of time in, in, in creating that team that's up there. Yeah, so, we've got a great team. We know it works. So that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah. So we will continue so with that. We're, but we're, we're open to it. But I think we're 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 also assessing, you know, the local market. Like you say, Mike, uh, it, it makes a lot more sense to try and do it do it uh, near to us. And I think you know, looking at um, building our capital base as well. So whether that's kind of flips or. Um, you know, splitting up places or maybe looking at SA model down, down where we live. I think that, I mean, it's just looking for the right strategy that works. So we're kind of still analysing that. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so I, I mean, I guess the, the the next project for you guys really is is sort of baby number two. And I, well, I guess to be fair as well, from a property point of view, you've got your own house project going through just now. So you've got a lot that's that's keeping you busy. Is is is, is property going to take a back seat for a few months just whilst you get into the new house and you know adjust to to life with two kids and that sort of stuff? Yeah, you can say that. I mean, it's an active choice to. Yeah, take the foot off the pedal um, just to enjoy that time and not put pressure on myself or Ben um, to continue with a project that, if you know, if things spiral out of control, we, we wouldn't stress ourselves. Um, you know, we, we did the hard work earlier on to be in this position where we can take guilt-free time, well, for me anyway, um, and just focus on our family and the baby. And, and no doubt, you know, probably in a couple of months, I, would just, I want to get back out there, but just to enjoy it. Yeah, I, I love that. And I mean, I think it's, it's something that people often forget about when they get into properties, the reason why they did it in the first place. But it sounds like, you know, it's, it's front of mind for you guys. You did this so that you could spend time with your family so that you didn't need to worry about income. Now that there's this big life event going on. It's so good that you've got that income in place that allows you to step back. You don't need to be worrying about sourcing deals and taking two kids with you to viewings or finding child. Like, you know, you, you can just take the time to, 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 to raise your family, to spend time with your kids. I, I mean, that's, it's, it's amazing. It's the whole reason that people get into this and it's nice that you guys have said, well, you know what? No, we, we, we've got an income in place now. We're comfortable we don't need to worry about it. We can take, you know, whether we want to take three months or nine months, I guess at some point, Jules, you're going to, you know, you're going to start to get itchy feet again and think, no, 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 let's get back out there. But it can be totally on your time and you can take as long as you need to get to that decision because you've put in this effort in advance and, you know, in a position where you are comfortable. I love it. I think it's a, you know, it's a great story and it's a great result that you guys have achieved. Thanks. So, I mean, I guess I was going to ask you about uh, your plans for the future to wrap us up, but we've kind of agreed there. We've realized that that's maybe a little bit um, uncertain at this point in time, but it's good to know, you know, things like hopefully investing closer to home. Uh, You've got a lot of exciting stuff ahead of you in your personal life. I guess just one question to wrap you up. from a, an HMO investing point of view, uh, so it sounds like there's been a lot of rewards, the income potential and all that sort of stuff. What's been the biggest challenge that you guys have, have had to face from uh, you know, deciding to go down the, the HMO route? Um, I think, we, I think a, couple of, a couple of things. So, uh, and, and we've touched upon them already, but I think um, number one was definitely the distance towards the end of that project. Just, you know, despite having a great team in place, uh, you know, the thought of Jules when she was pregnant driving like five hours up and then staying overnight in the HMO and then <laughs> driving five hours back the next day, you know, it wasn't particularly a, you know, a nice, a nice feeling to, to, to have that. Obviously we, we want to create a team where we have, you know, we can be a bit passive or remote if we want to, but you know, we, we like being proactive and we like being on site a lot and, and, and making sure that things are kind of moving in the right direction. So it was frustrating from that point of view, um, and I think, you know, that obviously we touched upon it as well, but the, but the, the financing, I think, uh, you know, we learned a lot as we were, as we were going through that process. Um, yeah, that was the first time we, um, did a bridge as well. So, uh, I don't think we mentioned that. So, yeah. So they, they were 
putting out a few conditions which we weren't uh, familiar with. So that put us out of our comfort zone and scrambling around to raise those funds. We had investors in place, but not at the time that they wanted in our account in order to complete. So starting the project was delayed because um, they needed the funds there and then. Yeah, yeah but, you know, I think we're, yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're definitely kind of still bullish about the HMO market and, and, and you know, like I said, I think we're still open to open to those um, opportunities as they come along if they're, if they're right for us at the time. I think, um, you know, it's important. There's a, you know, I think that the uh, demand for HMOs is still there. there, there there's definitely increasing supply. Um, I think, you know, like we've done though, I think if you try and aim for, you know, great location, um, you know, nice high end, like, you know, we, we, it was seven bed, we decided to put five on suites in, uh, and we also decided to put the, uh, extension on, um, and Jules was working with a, um, a designer to make sure it was really design led kind of, um, as well. So, you know, all of those things, they, they, they cost a lot of extra money. You know, we didn't need to put the, uh, the extension on. Uh, you know, the, the regs, like it, it's, it was fine from a regs point of view, but we, we really wanted to create that nice, uh, you know, top kind of level accommodation for, for, you know, to attract great tenants and have something kind of future proof for the long term. So we, we definitely see HMOs as, as being a good kind of uh, investment option going forward, I think. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And I, I think, you know, I agree with pretty much every point that you've just made about, you know, investing in the properties, making sure that you're in the right location. Yes, supply is increasing, but I mean, we see demand increasing as well for a whole host of different reasons. More people viewing HMOs as a great, a great, uh, you know, a real viable way to live with the convenience and the affordability there's a whole bunch of reasons that the market is going to continue to grow and it's just about creating the right product you know i think uh that that's ultimately what it comes down to in any business right it's it's creating a product that your customers want and there's still a huge amount of potential to do that in the hmo market regardless of the demographic that you're going after whether it's students young professionals if you're going more down the sort of lha route or any of these sort of new niches that we see emerging as well i think it's it's a great place to operate and as i said earlier we are diversifying our portfolio but there's still a big focus on hmo investing for the the future because we just see so much potential here so it's glad to see that you guys are on the same sort of page and i just want to say you know massive congratulations to you you don't need to hear this from me but just listening to your story i think it's really inspiring i think you've achieved a huge amount and it just shows that you know in a, in a relatively short space of time you can generate an income from property that can have a really profound impact on the way that the way that you live and the freedom that you've got so uh, yeah i just I, I think it's a great story i'm really pleased that you guys uh were happy to share it with us um and in terms of people wanting to follow along with the rest of your story, I guess it's maybe going to be a few more uh, baby pictures over the next couple of months. But, you know, with uh, the, your own home progressing and future projects, where, where's the best place for people to, to keep in touch and to, to find out what you guys are up to? So, yeah, um, as you mentioned, we're on Instagram. So we're at Fortunus Property. You can find us there. Perfect. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure we post that in the, the show notes. Like I say, it's, it's, it's a great account. You've got a couple of uh, stories, I think, of the latest HMO and of your own home, right? So people can sort of see what you've been up to on them. And uh, yeah, like I say, follow your journey long into the future. But like I say, guys, thank you so much for, for being here. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I've loved hearing your story and I hope we get the chance to do it again soon.
Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If Julia and Ben's story has got you thinking the HMO investing might be right for you, then remember to check out our free resources on the show notes page for this episode.